0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Yeah. It's not the smoothest run thing today, is it? But there you go. It's always the same when Andrea leads. Uh, so, um, <laughs> <That is fun>. <laughs> <laughs> hope you're liking the uh, the new sounds and vision system. Um, I think Andrea wandering around like she did would be a test of the camera, uh, which is now in the ceiling and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that went on. Uh, I just want to. I should have done this in the first service as well, but I forgot. Uh, I just want to thank Andy Treble. Uh, Andy's put in a huge, yeah. Andy's put in a huge amount of work into making this happen. Um, the PCC made a decision, uh, and then kind of said, "Go on, Andy, off you go, run with it." Uh, and he's he's made it happen. He's sourced uh, the, the contractors and kept a really good eye on them. And he's trained our volunteers and all that kind of stuff. So thank you, Andy. Good mate, well done. So, uh, here we are. Now, go on, do it again. If you want to do it, do it properly. There we go. So, here we are. Uh, the final in our series on Hidden in Plain Sight, where we've looked at some of the parables of Jesus. Um, and I've said this every time I've spoken, I've just found this really challenging. Um, every, every week has brought a new challenge. Uh, certainly preparing for sermons has been deeply challenging as well. Um, because we've looked at some of the parables that we don't always talk about, uh, some of the more difficult ones, uh, some of the more challenging ones, uh, and certainly every week has felt like a brand new challenge for me personally, and I hope it has for you. Uh, And to be honest, today is no different. It's a really simple parable, but it's a huge challenge. So let me pray before we start. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your words and we thank you for the way your words challenge us, inspires us, comforts us and leads us forward into the future. So Lord, I pray now that we would each have, have ears to hear what you might be saying to us personally and that we might be ready to respond to what you want to say. In Jesus' name, Amen. So over the weeks we've, uh, we've heard about Jesus' challenge through story uh, to be servants of God, to be obedient to God, to give our whole lives to God and to not hold back. And um, it's amazing, isn't it, how simple stories can have such a huge challenge for each and every one of us. And uh, today's parable, uh, Jesus is responding to something. He's responding to Uh, The people around him saying, hold on Jesus, why is it your disciples aren't fasting? And yet the disciples of John the Baptist and the disciples of the Pharisees, they fast. Why are you different? And he tells this parable. See, the teaching of Jesus, all the teaching of Jesus, was incredibly radical. He was challenging the religious status quo. He taught stuff that was brand new. That's why he had such a huge following. And that's why the religious leaders of the day turned against him. Because he was teaching that, you, you, that the whole thing around following the law, not the civil law, but the religious law, that following the law will get you nowhere because no one can follow the law perfectly. He said, you need grace. And that was a deep challenge to all the religious leaders of the day. And they turned against him. And this parable is saying this, that what he's saying is that, you know what, the old covenant with God is great. It's good. But I'm bringing a new covenant. And the one thing you cannot do is take something from the new covenant and try and add it to the old and mix it up. What he's saying here through this parable is that the old and the new cannot mix. You cannot take a patch from a new garment and use it to fill a hole in the old because what you're doing is destroying both garments. And you cannot take new wine And pour it into old wineskins that have been used before and are hard and inflexible. Because what happens in that, in the heat of Israel, when you put new wine into any wineskin, is it continues to ferment, it produces gas. And as the wineskin expands, if it's not flexible enough, it bursts. And you break the wineskin and you lose the wine. You cannot mix the new and the old. And that's why, in the end, both Christianity and Judaism were incompatible. They taught different things. It needed a new covenant, and it needed a new wineskin for the teaching of Jesus. And in lots of ways, it's the same for each and every one of us. When God does a new thing in us, it requires us to change and to not be the old person. The moment we become a Christian, we are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. The moment we become a Christian, and God is continually in the process of each and every one of us becoming new. So the, the new thing that he is doing can be contained in our lives. Sometimes that requires radical change for each and every one of us. You cannot mix the old and the new. And of course, people don't like change, do they? No, I mean, even people like me, I love change. I love to mix it up. I like to change things. But even the process of change is hard work. And there are lots and lots of people who just don't like change in any form. And yet Jesus is in the, in the, in the, in the job of changing people, communities, the world. That's his job. That's what he came to do, to bring change. And so the religious leaders of his day turned against him. And they had him crucified because of the things that he said. Because his teaching was so radically different from what they taught. They had him crucified. You cannot have a patchwork faith. You cannot simply take bits from the new and stick it on the old. You cannot take the new things of the Spirit of God and put them in old containers. Because in the end, you lose both. Early, Right at the beginning of this year, we had a, uh, a brand new verse for the year. Anyone remember what it is? And everyone goes, whoosh, over there to look at it. <laughs> Uh, So it says, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. See, God is always doing new things. Anyone who thinks that the Christian life is boring actually doesn't know Jesus yet. Because he is always doing new things in your life. Your life with Jesus should be the biggest adventure going God is always doing new things. The question is, do you perceive it? Do you see what God is doing in your life or in this church or in this town? Are you able to lift your eyes off your problems and see the things that God is doing? Because that's the challenge really, isn't it? That we get so bogged down with life. Just the kind of daily grind of getting up, going to work, going back home, having our tea, watching TV and going to bed. Day after day after day. We get so bogged down with the grind of life that we cannot sometimes lift our eyes high enough to perceive what God is doing. But God is always doing new things. He did it with Jesus when Jesus came. He did it on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit filled the believers and continues to fill believers today. He did it with The expansion of the church, that early church, as they started to be sent out from Jerusalem to fill the whole world with the gospel. It happened 300 years after Jesus, when the Roman Empire formally declared themselves a Christian empire. It happened in the Reformation with Martin Luther, who said the old way of doing church is wrong. We need a new way of doing church. We need a new doctrine. We need to believe different things in order to be true to the teaching of Jesus. God did a new thing just over 100 years ago with the Pentecostal movement that has radically changed the, the, the Christian world across the nation. God is always doing new things. And sometimes they're those big history-making things, or sometimes these are the little things in your life, but he is always doing new things. He himself never changes, but what he does is continually changing. He's calling us to evolve, to be different from how we used to be. The whole Christian life is about you changing and becoming more and more and more like Jesus. God is in the job of changing things. Can you perceive what he's doing right now in your life. I've said this before, but you know it's it's really easy to look back and say, wow, you know, wouldn't it have been great to have been around at that time or that time? But you know the most exciting moment in church history is? Now. Because this is the time where we get involved. This is the time where we are able to partner with God in the changes that He wants to bring. Today is the most exciting day in history because today you can grab hold of what God is doing and run with it, or you could just let it go. See the most for me, the most exciting time in history is right now, and you know we can look at, at uh, What's happening in this country with the church, and we can be thoroughly depressed. You know, the media tells us, oh, church is in decline. Every year we're losing people, etc., etc. etc. That's true. Church is in decline. Or you could look at what God is doing. The church is the biggest provider of food for those in poverty in this nation through food banks and other services. The church is becoming the biggest provider of debt advice in this nation. The church provides 75% of all volunteers in this nation. The church is at work, and God is at work in his church changing this nation. And the numbers might not look great, but God is still at work if you perceive it. If you're able to lift your eyes high enough to see what God is actually doing. See, God is doing a new thing in this nation. And like the media, you can put your head down, just look at the numbers and say, no, he isn't. Or you could look up and see what God is doing. This is an exciting moment in history because God is starting to do a new thing. He's reviving his church in all sorts of ways. The question is, do You perceive it. Are you able to see what he is doing? See, this is going to be our story. All the other parts of church history is someone else's story. But this is our story. Will you be part of it? Or will your eyes be so focused on the here and now and the the bad news and the numbers that you miss what God is doing? So what is God doing amongst us? Uh, You've all seen those cones, haven't you? Doesn't your heart sink when you're going along a motorway and you start to see cones? You know what's going to happen. Everything slows down uh, and then probably you stop at some point. And the worst part of it is you never see anyone working. (laughs) What is that? Miles and miles and miles of motorway with no one doing anything. It is so frustrating. And you wonder, what's the point of this? Andrew and I have to go to Leeds quite a lot because we've got our kids there. Uh, they tried to move away from us. They couldn't get any further than that, but they're still trying to get further. Uh, so we go down the M62 all the time. And uh, about two, three years ago, they started in a whole smart motorway thing. And it was a nightmare. Cones for miles. And you had to slow down and all that kind of stuff while they did all sorts of weird things that we never, ever saw. What's the point? Well, now it's all cleared and it's a dream. It's fantastic. You go along there. It doesn't matter how busy it is. The motorway is always moving. So you don't always see what the end result could be in the midst of change. When God is changing things, either in a church, in a nation, or in your life personally, you can go through think, what's this about? Why is God doing this? Why is God allowing this to happen? What is the point of this? Sometimes it's the, the end. You suddenly realise, oh yeah. That's what it was about. That's why that happened. In the midst of change... It's hard work. About uh, In 2007, in my previous church, uh, one of the things that did was, uh, we completely reordered the church. So it was a traditional church, pews and choir stalls, and a really, really high pulpit. Uh, and um, uh, we took it all out. We created basically just an empty shell of a building. Um, and most people were up for that. Most. Uh, there was a small number of people uh, who accused me of ripping out the heart of the church, who were deeply offended by what was going on, who were very vocal in the uh, uh, opposition of what was going on. And to be honest, they made my life really difficult. You know, there were letters flying around and all that kind of stuff, you know, and it was quite hard. Even though they were only quite a small number of people, they were very vocal and very active. Uh, nevertheless the the work still got done uh, and about five years after that uh, one of the women who was the most vocal and the most kind of offensive perhaps to be the best word came to me and said Steve you know this thing that you did with the chairs and all that kind of stuff I said yeah I thought here we go again she said it's the best thing you ever did all those years of making my life hell, and now you say this? See, sometimes in the midst of change, if you can't imagine what the end result could be like, then you oppose it, don't you? And it's like that for all of us. That if we can't kind of imagine what could be, we'd rather stay as we are even though as we are, might not be the best thing. And for lots of people who don't like change, that's where they're at. I can't, can't in my head, imagine what it will be like at the end of this process. So because of that, I'd rather stay as we are. But the question I've asked is an important question. What is God doing here, right now? let me give you five things that I see. Five kind of trends in our church that I think are starting to happen. Five movements, if you like, of God that I believe we need to catch and follow and move with in order to properly see what God might do amongst us. I'm just going to go through these five things fairly quickly. So the first thing is this, uh, and I want you to really listen carefully to what I say here, okay? Because I don't want you to misunderstand. The first thing is this, uh, if you put it up, uh, pastoral to disciple making. Now what I am not saying is that we are moving away from pastoral care, all right? I am not saying that. Repeat after me, you are not saying we're moving away from pastoral care. Go on, say it. Thank you, because I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that churches everywhere get in a mindset of what really matters is that we care for each other. Because church life in a time of decline can be quite hard. What we can do is well, we can look after each other, make sure we're all right. But the thing is, Jesus didn't say that we should spend all of our time doing that. In fact, the Great Commission says, go and make disciples. That is our primary call as the church to make people like Jesus. Now I believe in pastoral care I believe that pastoral care is actually part of the disciple making process. But the key thing is that we help one another become more like Jesus. That is the important thing. That is the key thing for each and every one of us that we keep on changing to be like Jesus and it is widely recognized in this nation and probably in America and elsewhere in Europe that the one thing that the church does badly and needs to correct is that we don't know how to do discipleship we just don't we are really bad at it I'm part of a process in the diocese and in the Church of England nationally uh, called Setting God's People Free, which is all about discipleship. Helping people become more like Jesus. Because it is the number one concern of the church right now. And it's something that we're focused on. How can we be better at helping people be more like Jesus? The second thing is this that we move from an inward to an outward focus. Every church does this in a time of decline. They simply focus in on themselves with their own concerns, their own needs, their own desires. And yet, as the church starts to reach out to people, we, we discover that actually people out there do want to know about Jesus. You've heard it from... Um, oh, Craig, I've forgotten your name. Couldn't Celeste, that's right. Sorry. Uh, sorry. Uh, we heard it from Celeste before. There is a hunger out there, a real hunger for spiritual reality. And that can only be found in Jesus. And we need to grasp the opportunity that that brings. We need to be focused on those outside of church because that is the call of God upon our lives as Christians. To go. The third thing is this, that we move from being a group to a family. Uh, one of the things that was said to me when I first arrived here by someone in church, uh, they said Christ Church is a bit like a hotel. People come, they get refreshed, and then they go away again. And there's some value in that. Well, that's not church. The biggest image, metaphor use of church in the New Testament is family. And that means we are committed to one another that we love one another even though we might not like each other all the time. It means that no matter what goes on, we work it out together rather than throwing our toys out the pram and walking away. See, family is one of the key metaphors in the New Testament. We have God as our Father and we are brothers and sisters in Christ and we are family here together at Christ Church, not simply a group of random people brought together by a common desire to worship God. We are family. We share the same blood, the blood of Jesus that runs through our veins. And nothing should be able to separate us because we're family. I come from Liverpool. Tell you what, families in Liverpool, they stick together. They might fight each other, but you come against them and they'll be at you like a pack of wild wolves because they are family. And you know what? Church is family. And we need to discover that again. What does that mean? How can we live like that? You know, in a church of what? 250 plus people? How can we be family? We need to discover ways of doing that. That allows us to work through our differences. Allows us to join together. That allows us to be a place where people can come and belong. That anyone... And everyone should be able to come here and find a place of belonging. No matter what their background, no matter what they've done in life, no matter what their needs in life are, they should find here a place where they belong. And if they can't, then we've failed. We're all meant to be a people who are a family. The fourth thing is this, that we, move, we change our mindset from a natural to a supernatural mindset that we discover again the power of God. See, that the task that I think we have here to change South is frankly too big for us. It will take a miracle, but I believe in miracles. And I hope that you do. We cannot simply keep on doing more and more stuff and hope that it achieves something. We need to do stuff in the power of God supernaturally because what he does will always bear fruit and the last thing is this that we move from passiveness to renewal what do I mean by that basically I mean that in a time of decline and I see this in in loads of churches and I I get to have contact with lots of churches in the work that I do outside of Christchurch What I see is, oh, we're in decline, there's nothing we can do, we'll just keep on going as we are, and maybe something will happen. That's just passiveness. We should be seeking a church that is constantly being renewed in order to meet the challenges of the day. We need to be the kind of church that is prepared to change anything in order to reach the lost. There's a story about... uh, Rudyard Kipling, and uh, he was on a a boat that was doing a world tour, and uh, he was on that boat for the whole of the journey. And they pulled into port one day, and uh, General Booth, the leader of the Salvation Army, he comes onto the boat, Uh, and as he came on, a whole bunch of Salvation Army people, Salvationists, that's what they're called, uh, made like a guard of honour, and all shook their tambourines, Now Rudyard Kipling was a traditionalist and he hated tambourines. And he made a point of saying to General Booth uh, how much he hated the tambourine. And I know some of you might identify with that, but anyway. Uh, And General Booth said this, he said, I will stand on my head, shake my legs in the air and shake as many tambourines as possible if it means that people come to know Jesus. We can allow our tradition, our past, To hold us back from being the people of God that we should be in order to reach those who we should be reaching. We need to be constantly renewed. Constantly changing how we do church. Constantly changing how we think about church. Because you cannot simply stick a new patch on an old cloth. You lose both. We need constant renewal. So there's those five things pastoral, disciple-making, inward to outward, group to family, natural to supernatural, passive to individual. Does that ring a bell for anyone? Don't let me down here, guys. Does that ring a bell for anyone? The vision! vision. No one got it at 9.30. Well done. We spent most of last year thinking about what our vision is. And uh, have you got the, uh, get the thing up? Next slide, please. Uh, growing people, changing lives, building communities, seeking the power of God, being relevant. We didn't simply just magic those things up. We talked about it, we prayed about it, we sought God on it. We believe this is what God is calling us to. And amazingly, all of those things are trends that you'll see in the church nationally. That's amazing, isn't it? Can you perceive what God is doing? Are you able to lift your eyes and perceive that actually God might be including us in how he wants to change church and how he wants to change society? We need to be involved in these things. We need to embrace these things. And we need to embrace the change that these things will bring. Because it will mean change. For us personally and for us as church. it's really interesting isn't it that after the parable Jesus ends the parable with one line Uh, he says this he says uh, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new for they say the old is better there's not one church that I've ever been involved in that didn't have a golden age a time in the past that they all looked back to and said if only if only it was like that now At St. Andrew's, when I arrived, they said, oh, you know when the church opened, it was full. We actually had a guy who remembered as a child the church opening. It was full to overflowing. People were just queued to get in. I looked at the figures. It wasn't true. It was a little bit bigger than it is today. We can perceive the past with rose-tinted glasses. And maybe some things about the past were more glorious. But the past is no longer our concern. The present is. And I I think it's fascinating that in the Bible, uh, I mean, the Bible is just so true to human nature, is it? There are a number of times where people were saying, oh, if only it was like that. So the people of Israel coming out of Egypt, they've been set free from slavery. Hard, hard slavery. And the moment they hit a little bit of a bump in the road, they say, oh, I want to go back to Egypt. It was better there. When they got to the promised land, you didn't hear them say that again. They enjoyed their freedom. But in the change, the process of change, it's, oh, let's just go back. When the the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed by invaders, they rebuilt it, I think about 100 years later. And people were saying when it was rebuilt, it's not like how it was. I heard stories of how it was, and how it is today is not like how it was. And God has a word for them. You can read it in Haggai chapter 2. He says this, The glory... Of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. See, it's all about what God will do today. You don't know really what the past was like. We all view the past through filters. It's what matters today. That's what counts. Even in the New Testament that happened... So there were Jewish believers, Jewish Christians, who were saying, yeah, all this stuff that Jesus did is great. Grace is great. But what we also need to do is men need to be circumcised and we need to follow the law. Well, fortunately, especially for us men, they didn't follow that. They didn't try and take a patch off the new and stick it on the old. They said, let's stay with the new. Let's stay with what Jesus did. So even spirit-empowered people who are part of this new covenant were saying, let's go back to the past. We cannot look back. We have to press on with what God calls us to do today. To hold on to the past will always lead to decline. Always. There is a, uh, a church that I know of. I was talking to the pastor the other day, and he's, he's new to the church, and it's a small church. He is by far the youngest in his church. Everyone else is over seventy, and he and the past three pastors have said the same thing to the church: "You need to change if you want to have your church to have a future. You need to change." And with one voice, the church says, no, we're not changing. God will sort it out. It's going to be okay. That's passiveness. And unfortunately, unless they do change, that church will die. Probably within the next 10 years. We can't be in that place. Even at church our size, we cannot be in that place where we think if only we just wait a little bit, and maybe God will sort it out. We have to be involved in what God is doing today. Not just in this church, but across the nation. We need to make sure that we are involved in change. I had a conversation with someone who's not a member of church, who doesn't go to a church, uh, about the Christmas tree outside the Atkinson. And, um, And she said... I really didn't like it. Didn't like it. We're a traditional town. Oh, there's a statement. That's what she said. We're a Victorian town. And with that kind of attitude, is any is there, it's no surprise, is it, that this town is in decline. If people see us, if people here think we're Victorian, there's no future then, is there? Thing is, she said, I quite like it now. I quite like it. I've got used to it. We cannot stay in the past. We have to focus on today, what God is doing today, in order to have a future. And I want to encourage you to commit to change. Change personally for you. That you might keep on growing to be like Jesus. But also commit to change here at Christ Church. Things are going to keep on changing. And I can I can make no apology for that. Because if we're to have a future, we have to keep on changing. If we're to, to fulfill the assignments we think God has given us, we have to change. Change, unfortunately, I'm sorry to say to some of you, is here to say, stay. The thing is, the more you embrace change, the more you realise just how beneficial it can be. The more you embrace change, the more you realise that actually God is sometimes in it. And the more you embrace change, the more adventurous the Christian life becomes. So let's not try and stick a bit of the new onto the old and hope it just all holds together. it just doesn't. And I've no idea where, if we follow those five things that we think God has called us to do, I don't know where it's going to take us. I don't know what church would will be like in five years' time. I've got no idea. I'm meant to be your leader, and I've got no idea where we're going. But I trust God to get us there. I'm going to trust God to guide us every single step of the way. I'm going to trust God that by his Holy Spirit, he'll enable us to be the people that he wants us to be if we are prepared to go with him. So let me encourage you, as we've thought in this series about what it means to be a servant of God, what it means to be obedient, what it means to be faithful and all those kind of things, to commit to change. Would you like to stand, and would you like the band you like to come up, please? And uh, there'll be uh, people out um, over here. Uh, tell you what, let's change things. Woohoo! Uh, how about let's use that space over there for a change? All right, because it's always over here. So there's a nice big space because we've just kind of we haven't got rid of the prayer corner. We've just changed it for a little while. So, uh, over there, there will be people who will pray with you. There will be people who, will, no matter what your concern, if you want physical healing today, let's believe that God can bring physical healing. If you need help with this, some kind of circumstance or situation that you're going through, then believe that God can be in that and can radically transform it. And let's believe that no matter what God is calling us to, that if we go with him in the power of his spirit, following his lead, then it will be all right in the end. No matter what the journey brings. Someone at the 9.30 service said, I thought at the end of your talk you were going to bring up something that uh, was in the, the, what's it, the Marigold Hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where one of the guys says, uh, don't worry, it'll be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, it's not the end. You know what? Whatever process of change we go through, I can tell you now, I can guarantee that it will be all right in the end. Because God's going to be in it. The journey might be hard, but God is going to be in it. So wherever you need prayer for this morning, these guys will pray with you. And I particularly think there are some of you here today You just know you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit again. You've been trying to do life in your own strength. And you need the Holy Spirit to empower you, to lead you, and to guide you. These guys will pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Like Celeste was filled with the Holy Spirit, you too can be filled with the Holy Spirit today. So why not use these guys? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you uh, that you are taking us on a journey a journey where we are constantly in the process of leaving behind something of the old and embracing the new. And Lord, I thank you that uh, when we truly trust you, when we put ourselves in your hands, then Lord, even the process of change can be exciting. Lord, we as a church commit ourselves to following your lead. We commit ourselves to the journey that you've called us to be on. And Lord, our heart's desire, our greatest desire is to see this town one for you. So Lord, I pray that you would make us the kind of church that sees that happen. In Jesus' name. Amen.